We're returning in Matthew chapter number 5 to this famous portion of Scripture known as the Beatitudes. We memorize them as children. We, we hear them read and we see them put on plaques and posters and that kind of thing. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that it's one thing to know them, one thing to read them, and quite another thing to live them. I was just looking as I sat on the front row a few moments ago. Do you realize you have a beatitude on the wall behind me in this church? You're looking at a beatitude. There are lots of beatitudes. They're not confined to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is just the beginning of the blessings. But this is a good one. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. How many of you want that blessing tonight? Do you want that blessing? Then let's open the word of God, shall we, to Matthew chapter number 5. And tonight I want to draw your attention to two of these divine blessings, these spiritual secrets for victory. And they are the next two, of course, in the order that we're studying them. We studied four of them last night, only two tonight. Some of you are saying, praise God, this will be half as long as last night. Don't get your hopes up, all right? Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 and verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Would you read those two out loud with me, church? You have it in front of you now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 9. Ready? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, I would guess that by this time you've already marked the first word in both of these verses. And there are nine of these verses that begin the same way with this word blessed, this, this double blessing, this superabounding joy, this divine gladness that God gives. But I want to draw something interesting to your attention about these two. I'm not dealing with these two uh, as twin truths tonight arbitrarily. I believe that the Lord couples them together. Would you notice, please, that these two Beatitudes are the two Beatitudes that lead us directly to God? Notice not the first word of verse 8 and verse 9. Would you tell me? Talk to me, class. What's the last word of verse number 8, please? God. And what's the last word of verse number 9? Would you mark the last word of verse 8 and the last word of verse 9? Because these are the two Beatitudes that link us directly to God Himself. Now, please don't miss this. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So every blessing in these Beatitudes, every, every good thing in these Beatitudes we know comes from God. But if you follow that stream, if you follow that river back upstream, you come to the fountainhead, you come to the watershed, you come to the beginning of it all. And where does it all come from? It all comes from God himself. Self. And I fear that all too often we have become so enamored with the gifts we have forgotten the giver. When real revival comes, people are not seeking revival. People are seeking God. When real spiritual awakening comes, 
People don't leave talking about what God has given them and what God has done for them. They leave talking about who God is. Do you understand that the highest level of Christian living is that level that suddenly man fades into oblivion and the world becomes very dim to us and time seems to be no more and suddenly all eyes are on the glory and beauty and wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do these two Beatitudes connect us to God? It's a good question. Not to the resource, but to the source. Not not to the blessing alone, but to the blesser himself. Well, let me draw your attention to two more words. Look at verse 8 and verse 9 again. When I stop, you say the next word, would you please? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Watch it, please. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Would you take a pen tonight and circle in verse 8 the word pure and circle in verse 9 the word peace? And may I say to you, these two words describe for us the very nature of God himself. Can you think of anything that describes the God of the Bible any more than purity and peace? May I tell you what God wants for your life? Purity and peace. In a world of filthiness, how many of you have noticed the world's pretty filthy right now? The God of all holiness and purity and light says, I want my purity to be in your life. In a world of conflict and fighting and wars and contention and strife and division, God, the God of all peace, says, I want my peace to be in your life. You want a spiritual goal this week? You want something to aim at, something to pray for, something to follow after? Follow after this. Dear God, fill me with your purity and fill me with your peace. And the amazing thing here is that these two things encompass the whole of Christian experience. Jesus, tell us what the great commandment is. Oh, oh, that's, that's an easy question. The great commandment, thou should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and all thy strength. And the second is like unto it. Isn't it just like Jesus to give you just a little more than you asked for? Thou should love thy neighbor as Myself. Don't, don't miss it, please. There are two primary relationships in life. One is vertical and the other is horizontal. One is Godward and the other is manward. And by the way, they always come in that order. You don't start by getting right with men first. You don't start by living the Christian experience outwardly and externally first. You start by being thoroughly right with God. But please don't miss this. When you get thoroughly right with God, you can't keep that to yourself and suddenly it starts showing up in every other relationship of your life. So look at these two verses again because they're essentially the great parallel of what Jesus said was the first and the second commandment. To love the Lord your God is to have a heart that is pure before the Lord who is the Holy One. And to love your neighbors yourself is to take the peace that God has given to you and pass it on to somebody else and be a peacemaker. May I ask, are these two things the marks of your life? 
Would anybody that knows you say, I know that man. That man is a man who walks pure before God and seeks always to be at peace with others. Would anyone say in your home that it is marked by purity and that it is marked by peace? Do you understand that, look please, when God saves a man and moves into a man and begins to transform that man, it is always for this one purpose, that his image would be reflected in our lives. Not I, but Christ. And I say to you, the nearer you get to Jesus, the more of his nature and his character begins to be the nature and character that is developed in you until suddenly John said it best. He just increases and increases. And guess what happens? We just decrease and decrease. Because when God gets big, everybody gets small. And when Christ enlarges in a, in a person's life, suddenly it begins to crowd out of our lives. Watch it everything that is not pure and everything that is not peaceable. And for the record, there's a divine order. We know the God of the Bible is a God of divine order. There's a progressive truth here. You tell me, class, which one comes first, purity or peace? Tell me, which one? Purity always comes first. You remember what James wrote about the wisdom that is from above? He described it this way. He said, the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. You say, well, why is that important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because we're living in a world right now that wants peace at any price, so they compromise truth and they say, who cares what you believe? Who cares what I believe? Let's just all get along. I want you to know that is not the peace that God desires in our life. God's peace always grows out of truth and it begins with God's great purity. These are the divine essentials. Matter of fact, let me just show you something. Let's make a connection comparing Scripture with Scripture. Hold your place. Coming right back to Matthew 5. Turn over to Hebrews with me for just a minute. This book tells us so much truth about all that Christ brings into our life, all the better things. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now, you know Hebrews 12. It's famous. We're coming to about with a great cloud of witnesses. We're looking unto Jesus. We're running the race. It's a wonderful chapter, but come down in Hebrews 12 to verse number 14 and see if you don't notice something that sounds very familiar. Follow peace with all men. And what, church? Holiness. Would you circle in your Bible peace and holiness? It's just, it's just another way of saying purity and peaceableness. It's, it's the same two great relationships, but don't miss the end of verse number 14. Here's why it's so important. Look, it's not, it's not peace to have peace and purity to have purity. Look, it is to bring us to God without which no man shall see the Lord. Keep that phrase in your mind. You got it? Without it, nobody sees the Lord. Without purity and peace, nobody gets a real glimpse of God. Nobody lives with a fresh vision of the Lord. No man sees the Lord. Go back to Matthew chapter number 5 and notice what the Bible says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Please don't miss what I'm about to say to you. Purity brings you near God, and peaceableness brings God near men. In the first, we see the Lord. Oh, I love this. I love this. In the first, we see the Lord. But in the second, others see the Lord in us. In the first, 
I get a clearer view of who God is. Isaiah saw him and said, Woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter saw him and said, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. John saw him and laid down and played like a dead man at his feet. I'm telling you, you get a glimpse of God, it changes everything. Don't, don't tell me you've been in the presence of the Holy One of heaven and you come out the same. Look, you can't live the same after you have seen God. That holiness begins to create in you a greater desire for His purity. But watch, please, when that purity gets real in you, you start making peace with others. It's one of the greatest evidences real revival has come. You start getting right with God and everybody else. And suddenly, not only do you see God, everybody else starts seeing God. Let me ask you something, church. How many of you in the last day or two, just in this little short time that we've been in the Word of God, have seen some things in the Word and seen some things in your life and seen some things about God that you needed to see? Would you raise your hand, please? I have. Let's, let's take it outside the walls. Don't bottle it up here. Don't dead end it here. God help us. How many of you would like to see some of your family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers and some of the people in this city get a clear glimpse of God? How many of you would like to see that happen? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to tell you how. Look, purity and peace. So let's take the two. Would you write that down in the margin of your Bible? Number one, next to verse number eight. I want you to write down that purity is to be our testimony with God. Please don't miss what I just said. See, the purity he talks about in this verse is not outward purity, it is inner purity. I fear that we have created such a formulaic Christianity, such an equation kind of religion that when people check the boxes and dot the I's and cross the T's and all the places where we think they ought to, we get the idea that they are spiritual people. No, you might be a Pharisee. Because the purity in this verse, look at it carefully, is purity of heart. And may I just remind you, only God knows whether my heart is really pure or not, and only God can make a heart pure. You could be the longest standing member of this church, and I can stand on the pulpit and preach a sermon to you, and we all can be carnal. Because only God begins digging down deep where nobody goes but the Holy Ghost. See, in the end, and look, I like testimony meetings. Maybe every now and then you have a testimony meeting. I was in one recently and it was a great blessing. I like that. I still think the greatest testimony that we ever give is not the one we give inside the building to a bunch of saved people. It's the one we give out yonder to the lost people who need to know our Savior. But I'm going to just tell you, the greatest testimony of all is not the one you say about you and not the one others say about you. It is the one God will say about you at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, the older I get, the longer I live, the more I'm starting to think more about the finish line than I did the starting blocks. And I'm wondering what that day is going to be like when I kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and the eyes that look at me are the eyes of one that saw everything. And at that moment, I will know God knows everything there is to know about me. Purity of heart must be the testimony of God Almighty about our life. And notice the dimensions of it. Look, please. First, you've got the depth of the purity. How deep does it go? It goes all the way to the heart. It's not on the surface. It's, it's not just you keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not you looking good for public consumption. That's not what this is. This is heart-level purity. 
I want to ask you something deeply personal tonight. Please don't answer out loud. It is not between you and me. It is between you and God Almighty. Are you thoroughly right with God at this moment? I'm not asking, have you ever been? I'm not asking, do you want to be? I'm not asking, do others think you are? I'm not asking, do you plan to be? I'm asking, as you sit here looking at me right now at this moment, and God sees every one of us, is there anything between you and a holy God? Anything. You waiting on me to call it? Mm-mm. Well, the Holy Spirit's already put his finger on it. Cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. See, revival, pardon me, doesn't give you a tingle up the spine and a warm fuzzy feeling. Everybody says, that was a nice meeting. Revival is when God's people start letting God do heart surgery on them and say, Lord, do the deep and lasting work that must be done in me. I want to be thoroughly right with God. It's the cry of David in Psalm 51. Oh God, purge me through and through. Dear God, clean it all out. Because here is not only the depth of the purity, but please don't miss this, here's the length of the purity. Do you see the word here in verse number 8, pure? You know what this word was used for in Jesus' day? It was used for clothes, ladies, you'll understand this that had been taken to the place. They didn't have washing machines. Thank God for washing machines. They had been taken to the place where they were to be washed. And you know how they washed them? It wasn't just pour a little water over it and, and press it a little bit and make it look a little better. They literally would take the garment to a place and they would beat it on the rock and then they would beat the rock on it to get all the, the dirt and grime loose so that then the water could wash it away. The word he used for purity was a word of such cleansing. It literally meant get all the dirt out of your heart. Every bit of it. It was the word that was used for the, for the sifting, the winnowing of the wheat to get all of the chaff. Look, when it came time for harvest, when it came time for dinner, you didn't want a little bit of chaff. You wanted all of the chaff to be gone. And I want to say to every one of God's people tonight, God doesn't want you right with him on Sunday. He wants you right with him every day. God doesn't want you right with him in some areas. God wants you right with him in every area. This is the purity of heart that God desires for his children. You say, how pure does God want me to be? Look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. And then there is not only the length and the depth of purity, but there is the height of purity. Because look what it does. It lifts us to God. Oh, I love this. What is the promise to the principle? What does God say you'll do? Thank you, Lord, for this. Don't miss it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And for the record, we're all going to see God soon. Aren't you looking forward to seeing God? Please don't miss this. This is not just future tense. This is present tense. You can see God before you see God. You know what's really sad? Some Christians are going to live and die and never get a real glimpse of God till they see him face to face. I tell you on the authority of the word of God that when you get thoroughly right with God, when you get your sins confessed and forgiven and forsaken and cleansed, when you get all of your junk out of God's way, I'm going to tell you what the Lord will do. God will start revealing himself to you. I'm not talking about it in some weird, spooky dream in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, in the nature around you, you will see the handiwork of God. In the circumstances of life, you will see the providence of God. In the people that you cross paths with, you will see the divine appointments of God. And in the Holy Scriptures, you will see the truth of God. The Holy Ghost will take the blinders off your eyes. 
We got too many saved people stumbling and bumbling and grumbling their way through this life with the blinders still on. You know why? They haven't got a good glimpse of God. And you know why they haven't? Because they still have something between them and the Lord. Spurgeon said he was on a train one night. He and a friend were conversing about spiritual things and a man across the car from him was drinking wine. And he overheard the conversation and and the the man across from them, well-dressed and and sitting there just feeding his body and and drinking his liquor, uh, leaned over and said, I've lived for 60 years on this planet and I've never seen a spiritual thing. And Spurgeon said, I imagine you probably haven't. Because you see, when you get your junk in God's way, don't expect to see all that God has for you. What's the thing the Holy Ghost is putting his finger on in your life? You want to see God? People say they really want to see revival. Forget that. Would you like to see God? Would you like to see the Lord at work in your children? Would you, would you like to see answers to prayer? Would you like to see something fresh when you open the Bible tomorrow morning? Would you like to see the miraculous power of God? Let me tell you how to see God get your heart pure before the Lord. Dear Lord, get me out of your way. I wonder sometimes we even have meetings like this and we don't really see God. We see a preacher and we see singers and we, we see all the form and function of church. When was the last time you saw God and knew you had a glimpse of the Holy One? You want a fresh glimpse of God? Deal with your sin. Go to James again for just a moment. Would you please, the end of your New Testament, here's the way James wrote it in James chapter number 4, verse number 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. (laughs) I can hear my mama right now saying, wash up for supper. You mothers know what I'm talking about. What did she mean? Did I have to go take a whole bath? No, but she wanted those hands clean. Get the dirt out from under your fingernails before you come to this table. Wash up for supper. May I just remind all God's children, how many saved people are here tonight? Would you raise your hand? Big and high, big and high. Saved people. I want you to know where all the saved people are getting ready to go. All the saved people are getting ready to go to a supper. That's where we're going. Greatest supper you've ever seen because nobody spreads a table like Jesus spreads a table. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what the Lord's trying to do right now? He's trying to tell his people, why don't you wash up for supper? Why don't you get ready to see Jesus? What is it you don't want to meet God with at the judgment seat someday? Meet him tonight with it in mercy. Keep reading. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and, don't miss this, purify your hearts. Sound familiar? You see how he moves from the, from the outside in, from what people see, from the hands. That's just the evidence of something deeper because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh and keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Let's go way down deep inside. And God says, let's not just get the hands clean. Let's get the heart pure. And then he defines for us what a dirty heart looks like. Look at the end of verse number eight. Ye double-minded. Do you know what the word purity in the New Testament actually means? It means singleness. It means you're not divided. We read in Scripture that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You all know why there's so many unstable marriages? Double-mindedness. You all know why there's so many unstable churches? Double-mindedness. You all know why there's so many unstable young people? Double-mindedness. Look, sin always divides. Christ unites. Sin makes you live a double life. 
double identity. One way at church and another way out in the community. Look, one way in front of people and another way when you're in the secret place. God says, let's deal with all that doubleness and let's come back to the simplicity and the singleness and the sincerity of life. Let's bring it back to being right with God. You know the hardest thing I have to do? Stay right with God. Not study, not travel, not preach, not be with people. The hardest thing I have to do every day, look, getting right with God's easy. You confess your sin, you can be right with God in a moment of time. The hard thing in life is not getting right, it's staying right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so what must we do? We must come to God again and again and say, Lord, I want to be pure before you. Before we go back, look at verse 9. Remember last night? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaven. Does that mean God wants you to be some miserable person moping around? Too many Eeyore Christians in the world. You know who Eeyore was? Everything's bad. That's not what I'm talking about. The mourning and brokenness here is the brokenness over sin. Look, please. Why is it we can get more angry over someone else's sin than we are broken over our sin? Do you know know where divided lives come from? Double minds, impure hearts. Let the Lord be thorough with you. And so we go back to Matthew 5 and we hastily find the second one because verse 8 naturally leads us then to verse number 9. We come to God's face like a king granting access into his throne room. Some of you right now, some of you right now, you're trying to figure out why you can't pray, why you can't enjoy the Lord, what's happened to your communion and fellowship. I'm going to tell you what, you don't get access into the king's presence, into the holy throne room of heaven with sin in your life. So deal with the impurity and you will see God. And then immediately what happens, you come out different than you went in. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the children of God. Would you write this next to verse number 9? Next to verse 8, you wrote that purity is to be our testimony with God. Next to verse number 9, I want you to write down that peace is to be our identity with others. So the testimony is Godward first, and then we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad at Calvary Jesus identified with you? Think about that. The holy, pure, sinless Son of God identified with a whole bunch of hell-deserving sinners like the ones that are gathered in this room tonight. Praise God. He was not ashamed to be identified with me. What should be the greatest desire of my life? I want to be identified with Jesus. You ever wonder why baptism is the sign of a new believer? You ever wonder why the Lord said, do it this way? We stand in the water, the water crosses our body like the cross where Jesus died. We go into the water like he was buried and come out of the water like he rose from the dead. Look, because in doing so, we are publicly identifying ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ who died and was buried and rose again from the dead. But I want to say to you that your identity with Christ is not supposed to stop at your baptism. It is supposed to start at your baptism. And in fact, where the rubber meets the road, or shall we say where it slides all over the road, where it really gets tough is in our relationships with one another. Because we come in and we sing hymns like How Great Thou Art and It Is Wonderful. And then you got to walk out these doors and deal with ignorance. How many of you have noticed that sin gets dumber and dumber all the time? You ever wonder why that is? I'm going to tell you why. When you reject light, you get darkness. 
Watch, please. Don't miss this. When you say no to truth, you start believing lies. So now we're living in a world filled with all this conflict and contention and strife all the time. And by the way, God's people are not immune from it. Oh, no, because we got flesh too, and religious flesh is no more spiritual than worldly flesh. Flesh is flesh, and flesh never produces spiritual anything. And you know what this world is dying for tonight? Some people who represent God's peace. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not natural, it's supernatural. I'm sorry, you, you can't get this by saying, sign me up, preacher, I'll take a dose of that peace. You don't get it that way. And here's what happens. First, you come to have peace with God. Probably somebody in this room doesn't even have peace with God. Some of you, you think the fight's with somebody else and it's not. You're not fighting them, you're fighting God. So you want to have peace? You've got to start by having peace with God. Stop being an enemy of the God who loves you. Then you got to go a step further than that. Not only do you have to have peace with God, you must learn to live in the peace of God every day, to meditate on Scripture, to pray, to walk by faith and not by sight, to lean heavily on the Lord, and the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. It's a glorious way to live. It really is. And then, look, turn it inside out. The peace that you have with God and the peace of God that is given to you by the Holy Spirit now you begin demonstrating in your relationships to other people. It's not natural. It is supernatural. It's, it's not emotional. It's not like I have this calm feeling. No, it's spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. And for the record, it's not passive. It's active. Look at the verse. Blessed are the peace what? <laughs> I've heard people talk about the peacekeepers. How many of you ever heard somebody talk about keeping the peace? Can I just let you in a little secret? You can't keep the peace. You've got to make it. And I'm going to tell you why. Sin at its root is enmity against God, is fighting against the Lord. We are sinners living with other sinners on a sin-cursed planet, and that's why there's so much conflict. So you're not just going to suddenly one day wake up in some euphoria and say, we have peace and we're going to try to keep it now. No, no, somebody has to make the peace. Don't miss this. Somebody has to initiate the peace. Let me tell you what God's people do. God's people stop waiting on everybody else to get right and we become the initiators. And when we do so, you know who we're like? We're like the Lord. Isn't God the first cause? Look, we love him because he what? First loved us. Who initiated our peace? Who, who brought us mercy? Who sent us grace? Who made a way? Our God did that. And when we begin to do that in the lives of other people, look at the end of the verse. The Bible says, they shall be called the children of God. See, peace is not human. It is divine. It identifies you with your Father. Can I tell you who the devil is? The devil is the chief troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. He was a troublemaker in heaven. He was a troublemaker in the garden. He was a troublemaker for Israel. He was a troublemaker for Jesus when he was on the earth. He's been a troublemaker for the church from the day it began unto this day, and he's going to be a troublemaker until finally he gets shut up for eternity. And praise God, that day is a coming. And truthfully, the devil's stirring up a whole lot of trouble right now. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe you're seeing more hatred more ugliness, more unkindness, more wickedness, more violence. Watch, because Satan and all the hounds of hell know that their time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and so they're stirring up everything they can while they still have opportunity. 
Please don't miss this church. Remember I said to you on the Lord's day, I don't just want you to know the Beatitudes better, I want you to know Jesus better. If Satan is the chief troublemaker, may I tell you who Jesus is? Jesus is the chief peacemaker. What did he do on that cross? On that cross, he took a holy, righteous God in one hand and sinful, fallen humanity in the other, and he made peace. He didn't compromise truth to do it either. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The righteous one took our unrighteousness, paid our sin debt to reconcile us to God. He made a way so that those of us who have been pushed away from God because of our sin are now drawn to God because of his mercy. You know what that is? That's the work of the peacemaker. I'm going to tell you what your family needs. I don't even know your family, and for the record, nobody's told me anything, all right? I'm going to tell you what your family needs. It needs a peacemaker. I'm going to tell you what this church needs. And you know, this seems like a happy church, Pastor. It really does. I, I Just being around here a couple of times, I love the spirit around the place. And you all probably never have any trouble. Nobody ever gets mad. Nobody ever quits and leaves church. That probably never happens in this place. But in some of the churches where I go, that happens. I didn't say it. He's a shepherd. You know, somebody said, somebody said, some churches are more like goat pens than they are sheepfolds because everybody's butting heads all the time. Shouldn't be that way. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. I'm going to tell you what this church needs. It needs whatever church needs. It needs some people to be peacemakers to lay aside pettiness and party feeling, to, to lay aside their own agenda and idea, to not have to be right all the time and to not have to say it when you think it. And instead to say, Jesus, I sure want to be like you. I'm going to tell you what this world needs right now. It needs, a, it needs an army of peacemakers. And I'm not talking about politicians either. I'm talking about gospel witnesses. Do you know what a witness is? He's a peacemaker. That's right. The Bible says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means, look please, that we go out these doors tonight and we see a bunch of people who are fighting against God and really fighting against themselves, but they're at enmity against the holy God of heaven and we take the pure message of the gospel to them and say to them, I want to tell you how you can have peace with God like I have peace with God. You know what that is? That's a peacemaker. So we must deal with both parts. Number one, are you pure? Charles Tenley was the son of a slave. Actually, his father was a free man. His mother was a slave woman. So he could have gone out free when he got to a certain age, but he loved his mother. And he stayed with her until he was a grown man. It's a good thing, too, because his mother knew Jesus. She gave him the gospel, and Charles Tenley got saved. He went to Philadelphia to go to college to study in a, in a great university there. He got a job. He was the janitor at a big downtown church, downtown Philadelphia. Nobody thought much about little Charles. All those wealthy people came to church on Sunday in their Sunday best, walked right past the young man sweeping the floors and picking up the trash behind them. Nobody thought much about Charles until Charles grew up and became the pastor of the church. One day, Charles Tenley sat in his study. 
in Philadelphia and took a pen and paper out. God was working on him. He was meditating on the psalmist words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my faults and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And Charles Tinley wrote for the first time on paper the words that we now sing, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Thought of this world's delusive dreams. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. Let nothing between. Can you say that tonight? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then God, the pure God, begins working out, causing us to be peacemakers. I was preaching in a revival meeting a few years ago and came to the last night of the meeting. I was driving back and forth from home, but I don't know, I'm 20 minutes from where I live. When <laughs> you're on the road all the time, every night in your own bed's a good night. So I was driving back and forth and got there right on time for church. Parking lot was packed. I had to park way out, came in. By the time I got to the front doors, they'd already started the music in the auditorium. The place was filled with people, and I'm, I'm hurrying in, trying to get in. And there was a little elderly woman, a grandmother, waiting for me at the front door with a smile on her face and a little paper bag. She said, oh, preacher, she said, I've been waiting on you to get here. She said, I made you some banana nut bread. I said, it's going to be a good meeting tonight. It's going to be a really good meeting. And then she said to me, and she began to weep. She said, I bet I must tell you something God did in me last night. She said, I don't know exactly what it was. She said, it wasn't what you were preaching on. She said, in the middle of the message, she said, God brought my sister to my mind. I could see her face. She said, now you don't know me. She said, I'm a, I'm a faithful member of this church, have been for decades, and involved and served God here and thought of myself as a good Christian. She said, but my sister and I, we hadn't talked in 20 years. She said, she said I went home last night and she said, I tried to read my Bible. She said, I couldn't read my Bible. She said, I got down on my knees and tried to pray. She said, I couldn't pray. She said, I thought I'll go to bed. It'll be better. She said, I, I tried to go to sleep and couldn't go to sleep and tossed and turned all night. And she said, in the wee hours this morning, she said, I thought to myself, I can't live like this anymore. She said, I went to the phone, first time 20 years now, you think. She said, I called my sister. Tears streaming down her face. She started laughing. She said, wouldn't you know God had been working on the other end too? She said, over the phone this morning, she said, my sister and I both got right with God and we got right with each other. She said to me, her face lit up. She said, it's been the most wonderful day all day today. You know what that is? That's revival. And see, when you start doing that kind of thing, somebody's going to look at you and, and they're going to say, I think that's a Christian. I think that man's a child of God. I think that woman belongs to Jesus. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Would anybody look at you and think of your father? May I just full confession? Most mornings when I get up and look in the mirror, and I'm not talking about the mirror you're thinking, most mornings when I get up and look in the mirror, I see more of my first daddy than I do my second. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Adam. I see my father's nature in me. But you know what God wants? He wants Christ to be so formed in me that when I look in the mirror of the Word of God and when others look at my life, they don't see Scott and they don't see that old sinner Adam nature in me. They see my heavenly Father in me. Little woman, 
walking down the streets in Chicago years ago, found a little boy that didn't have much clothes on, dead of winter, and hadn't eaten. She took him in a restaurant, bought him a meal, and took him across to the apartment store and clothed him, and they came walking out, and he said, Ma'am, can I ask you a question? She said, Yes. He said, Are you Jesus' mother? And she laughed like you did. She said, No, but I am his child. He said, I knew you were related to him somehow. Wouldn't it be good if somebody thought we were actually related to Jesus? Came back from my first year of college driving through my hometown. <laughs> driving too fast. I didn't have the car I was driving this week either. I was still driving too fast. Had my mother and my sister in the car. Now that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? My mother said to me, son, you're going to get a ticket. No sooner were the words out of her mouth then the siren went off behind me. You don't know my mother, but she's a prophetess. That's what she is. She spoke evil into my life. I pulled into a bank parking lot. And guy came up. My sister's in the back seat laughing hysterically. It was like Christmas for her, you know. It was great. The guy was rough. He was rough. Took my license and registration and marched back to his car. I mean, he wasn't kind at all. Back there a moment, came back up, looked at me, and looked at my license, looked at me, looked at my license. He said, are you Roger Pauley's boy? <laughs> For a moment, I thought, I wonder if he knew my dad before he got saved or after he got saved. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And he smiled. First time he'd smiled in the whole exchange. He said, slow it down, son. Winked at me. Handed me my license back and let me go. I heard angelic choirs sing the hallelujah chorus. It was wonderful. And I thought to myself, I'm so glad. Something about my name and my countenance that was connected to my father. Church, don't you think it might be good when we leave here tonight if somebody took knowledge of us that we've been with Jesus? Purity and peace. Our Father, may the Holy Spirit search us and try us and teach us and change us. May you cleanse us. May you get all the junk out of your way and make us the people you saved us to become. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.